Welcome to Everything In Between, the podcast where a dad and daughter duo delve deep into topics ranging from true crime to paranormal occurrences to urban legends and, well, everything in between. I'm Emma. I'm the dad. That's Anish. Um, And we really didn't do that much this week, did we? No, for (laughs) extenuating circumstances that focuses, well, I shouldn't say focus, that belong to you. No, you're, we can have this discussion later but we're recording from maine um it's february break so we're up here chilling relaxing we went skiing today which was so fun um i think this is the first time this season that we've gone skiing that's Um, depressing and true yes yeah whoops but actually it's all our fault because your mom's been like let's go let's go and You've been like, uh, I'll get up. It's 9.30. Now it's 10, 10.30. So, yeah. Okay. This is going to be a lot. uh, This episode's going to be a lot of just moaning about Emma. Listen, is that really much different than our other episodes? Than extra moaning on Emma because Jesus. All right. I will say that I got up way earlier than Chris did this morning and got ready and everything before him. So means nothing. Yes, it does. <laughs> it means it nothing. It does. I set like five alarms yeah, for myself. Okay. It well, was maybe really... if you had walked the dog this morning, it would mean something. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. There was some nice corduroy and it wasn't too icy, only towards like the end. And then, yeah, it was nice. Yeah, it was great conditions, I think. Today was a great day too because it wasn't crazy cold. I mean... When we got up here, it was minus 11 or whatever, (laughs) and I think it's going to be minus 11 by the end of the week. It was sunny, and I'm someone who always gets cold, like, without fit. My my ski jacket has a warmer in it. My gloves always have warmers in them. Like, it's insane, and today I was, like, sweltering. It was hot. Like, I wanted to take off my gloves and everything. Yeah, Yeah, it was just a great day. It was, we're happy we got to ski. Hopefully, we get to ski at least once, if not twice more. Yeah. This week, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, and now we're all tired and, you know, tired. <laughs> yeah, which is also lame because we didn't really ski all that much. So well, we we're just a good we're definitely trying to get and our ski still legs rusty, back. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Okay. So, you know, that's our excuse. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we have now, like, great opportunity to, like, binge things. Like, we've been watching more Gravity Falls. We watched Doctor Who. We have a Seven Worlds, One Planet to catch up on. We have Lock and Key to finish. We have uh, uh, other shows, <laughs> I'm sure. I thought something was coming out this week, and now I can't remember. That well, maybe it's at the end of the week. There's a couple of things that are that I'm looking forward to, but um, I know there's a show coming out called "I Am Not Okay with This," and I'm yeah, really excited yep. for. Um, yeah, I've been following it for a while, and it looks really interesting and kind of like Carrie-esque which I'm excited for, yeah. which I wasn't expecting. I thought it was a completely different show, but it's interesting. It's I've like only, matilda E kind of. Um, I've only read a, a bit of a bit, little synopsis about... Yeah, a new about... trailer came out today. Speaking of new trailers, the teaser for Stranger Things Season 4 came out. Yeah, it did. And 
I don't want to say any spoilers, but can't spoil it. I it's guess a trailer. That's true. Hopper's. I, I'm happy. Back. Yeah. He's no, back. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad they just. Oh, I mean, I know they've been talking about it forever. That that's been the rumor that they've seen him everywhere. So I'm glad they just like. All right, we're just we're not going to try to keep that a secret. Yeah. Here it is. And I think even like with the the ending of season three, it was kind of obvious that he was the American. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. So. I'm so excited. I was like, there's no way. There's no way. He and can't. I don't think the brothers are, are not directing or writing I don't this think season, so. right? It's, it's, I mean, they're probably just producing. I don't know if they're writing anything. Yeah, but, I yeah. heard that they weren't doing well, anything. Hey, that's good. Maybe they'll have like a life of Doctor Who where they'll just have, it'll go on and on and on. <laughs> um, yeah, that's very exciting. Uh, so you have Liverpool News, I'm assuming. No, we, I have something to talk about. It's something we watched. I mean, you know, oh. it's not like we didn't watch anything. This. Well, we... Okay. You don't remember? No, I didn't. Oh, you I don't. Do, oh, Night of the Living Deb. Oh my God, you're right. Oh my God. Killing me. We're in Maine. You know. I was literally just thinking about that like earlier today, and I it completely escaped my mind. <laughs> Go ahead. We just happened to be. We were up here in Maine, and we have Shutter because I think we set, we brought this up before because we got it because of that uh, movie Terrified. <laughs> but there's a thing Shutter TV where. It just plays three different movies, like a slasher film, a Shutter original usually, and then I think a thriller or psychological or something like that. Yeah, and it's just like goes like yeah. on a cycle. Like it's, it's just, just a, a TV. You can't movies. pause it. You can't do anything. It's just what's on, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um. So we were just flipping through, and then this thing started, and it was, I mean, it probably was already ten minutes in or something, and yeah. um. And at first, we're kind of like, is this like an independent film? Like, well, I guess it is an independent film. We'll yeah. find it afterwards. So the the acting wasn't great but i think it was like, on purpose right i think you were trying to say so it, it's basically a comedy about zombies yeah um but it takes place in portland maine yeah and <laughs> it is I, I i thought it was great and i think it's funny because you can tell when they're acting um Seriously. scripted stuff yeah it's not good but when they're i think improvising or like when they're just kind of you could just tell there's chemistry. Building really, off each there, other, yeah. There really is it's, chemistry, but when they are when they have to act, you're like, okay, this is awful. <laughs> and they're not actually, like, the awful and real. Like, one of the, the main actress, Deb, was in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, like, for one episode, but she was good in that. She's been in a few things. There's a, there's a show, I don't think you've seen it, uh, called Strangers with Candy, and um, the lead woman is uh, um, Amy Sedaris, um, you didn't like her in The Mandalorian. She's the mechanic. Oh, yeah. I did not like her in The But uh, she is hysterical. And her brother is David Starris. He's also really funny. But the Strangers with Candy was a skit on, like, I think the Tracy Ullman show or something. And then it got spun off. But she was huh. in that, too, for, I, I don't even know what her role was. I can't remember. But um, huh. the woman's name is, I have it, I have it pulled up here. Because oh. I couldn't remember who the actress's name was. It's uh, Maria Thayer. And she's great. And she was engaged to. Oh, uh. Hopper. Yes, Hopper. It all circles back. <laughs> I completely right. I forgot. Oh my god. Um, but if you get a chance, it's on Am. It's also on. Uh, it's in. It's on. Well, for people who have Shutter, but I think it, it says it's on Amazon Prime Video, like regular. Well, the last time we said that, it was for that ghost show, and we were wrong. I'm clicking on it <laughs> so. right now to see if it starts and watch now, right Great. here, so you Perfect. can do it. So it's actually on Amazon Prime. It's from 2016. It's. Uh, it's well done. There's some other actors that you'll know. If you ever watch a show, Wrecked, um, the, the, the leads is in this. And then if you ever saw a show called The Reaper or Reaper, the devil in The Reaper or, play, or Satan is also in it. And he's, I think his name's like Ray Chase. I think he was in Supernatural 
as well, wasn't he? No? Probably, I don't know. You do you not remember the father, the father in Night of the Living Dead? Yes, I know who you're talking about, but was I he not in Supernatural? Uh, he it's something that was. I thought you saw. I thought there was a show we were watching. Ah, uh, we can look him up later. But, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. So that's what we saw. I, we highly recommend. It's not. I mean, don't expect Oscar-worthy performances or anything. But there's but some golden moments. There are, and if you just <laughs> want a good scene. laugh and you're just kind of like, I don't know what to watch. Just put it on. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not long. It's you less will than an definitely hour and a half. laugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So now you can go into your Liverpool rant. We played um, uh, yesterday? Yes. Yesterday? Yesterday? Saturday? No, today's yeah. mon- say Monday. Oh, my God. Today is Monday. No, so it's two days ago. So oh, Saturday. Jesus. Holy. Um, and uh, we played against... Uh, we were away, actually. And we played against Norwich... Um, who just got promoted, and we played in the first game of the season, and they're at the bottom of the table. I mean, looks like they're going to go back down, but um, it was a tough game, and we just, again, you know, I, I know we had the break and everything like that, but we won, won nothing at the end. We deserved to win. Um, we should have put a couple more goals. We should have been up by two before the half even started, but uh, that's 25 wins out of 26. Um 76 out of 78 points again this is this is just unheard of territory and champions leagues tomorrow we play atletico madrid away um that's going to be a tough game i'll take a draw i'll take a draw easy but uh we will see but it's it's now going to be fast and furious i think we talked about that with the break coming to an end that there's usually it'll probably be one or two or three games within eight days going on but um but yeah, it's it's a good time, and we're happy. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that sounds very exciting. Can't wait for all the screaming at the TV <laughs> that's gonna happen tomorrow. Um, I think that's all we have to say for our intro. I know we both have pretty long stories. Yeah, no, let's let's get into it. You're doing right, true, true crime. crime. All right, let's start it. All right. So I'm almost certain you will know this story. It's pretty recent. Um, And like I said, it's a true crime. Uh, And I guess I'll just get right into it. You're going to know. If you know it, you'll know in like the first bullet point, which is the, the, uh, seems to happen with a lot with my stories. (laughs) Um, Okay. So some of my sources, I used Wikipedia, ABC News, New York Daily News, the FBI's website, uh, CBS News, uh, AJC, New York Magazine, and Crime and Investigation. Okay, cool. Um, so, <laughs> Natalie Holloway uh, was born on October 21st, 1986, to parents Beth and Dave in Memphis, Tennessee. I know Holloway. I'm trying to remember yeah, which one. Yes, keep going. Okay, uh, so she was the first of two children. Uh, And then in 1993, her parents split, and then both she and her younger brother were raised by their mom. Okay. Um, The family moved to Mountain Brook, Alabama in 2000 when Beth married George Jug Twitty, um, a businessman from Alabama. Um, So then in May 2005, Natalie graduated from Mountain Brook High School with honors, Uh, She was a member of the National Honor Society. Uh, She was on the school's dance squad, and she also participated in lots of other, like, school extracurriculars. Okay. Um, So she was getting ready to attend the University of Alabama on a full scholarship uh, where she intended to go on the pre-med track. Okay. 
is she does she go somewhere before this like does she go on a trip yes is it in aruba yes it is all right <laughs> i couldn't remember the names because there's a couple okay yeah yeah all right yeah I, I, this is... I, I remember I, I don't know the details i didn't watch anything but i know that that the that there's a lot in here and oh, i know a lot so has to do. Okay. much all i right. had to like cut some stuff out because okay. it was so long um, I, I, I'm intrigued to hear the details because I, yeah, I, I was, it was in the news for weeks. I remember oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. watching it and seeing, it went on well, not for watching years. it. years. It's still kind of going on. Yeah, but when it happened, because there was this whole thing with tourism and people were getting angry about it and then right. um, Aruba was getting, you know, was blaming everybody. So, but I never got in, I, I, I know some of the players, but I don't know them all and yeah. I don't know the details. So I'm intrigued. Okay. This is a crazy one. Okay. Uh, so after graduating, Natalie and 124 of her classmates arrived in Aruba. Oh, I didn't know it was that many people. It was so many people. So it was her high school class that went? Yeah, her like senior class. Oh, I didn't know that. For an unofficial graduation trip. Oh, I thought it was just her and friend, a few oh, friends. Oh, no, no. It oh, was, I didn't know it was a, yeah. a school. It wasn't um, like, I don't, it's, I don't think it was really like official official, but um, they had 124. Chaperones. Yeah. Well, they had uh, seven chaperones. Uh, like adult, adult chaperones. For 124 kids? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so these chaperones would meet with the students every day to make sure everyone was fine, but they, quote, weren't supposed to keep up with their every move. Um, that's according to Jody Behrman, who uh, organized the did, trip. Did they say how, like, what year this was? I mean, had they done it 10 years in a row, or was it? I don't know. Uh, it seems like it would, it was kind of recent, um, which I'll get into in like one second. But like recent in the sense that they chose Aruba, but did they, uh, what I'm trying to understand is that was this just kind of like a tradition that like they, they would picked a, a different like, place, right, right, right. Probably right. something like that. I couldn't find anything that like said that. Okay. Um, but that would make sense, I think. Okay. Um, so according to police, the group engaged in, quote, wild partying, a lot of drinking, and lots of room switching every night. I okay. Mean, well, yeah, I mean. It's a graduation trip. Um, and apparently sounds no different than spring break. So, <laughs> um, apparently it was so rambunctious that the holiday inn where they were staying told them that they weren't back the next, they weren't welcome back the next year. Okay. So then they had done this maybe more than once. Yeah, maybe, or maybe they were like, I don't know. I don't right, know. Good. Uh, so it's pretty crazy. Uh, so according to some of Natalie's friends, uh, she would drink all day, every day. Jeez. Yeah. Um, on two occasions, she didn't show up for breakfast the next morning after a heavy night of drinking. Um, and the friends admitted that, quote, the drinking was kind of excessive. How long were they supposed to be there? Um, a couple days. I don't know exactly, but they were leaving May 30th. Okay. Um, so, also, for the record, I'm not, like, victim blaming here. Like, it's not smart to drink and getting drunk and all yeah. that, but, like... Well, it may, just because it may, she's it, drunk doesn't mean that anything that happened to her should have happened. No, no, no. But it also could mean that maybe it, like when a day she doesn't show up, people aren't worried because they're like, oh, this, she's done this before. Yeah. So that that's always bad because then you're, you're you know, if and you people, knew immediately that there's something wrong, maybe you find right. some things sooner than later or never. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to get that out of the way. Uh, so on Monday, May 30th at about 1.30 a.m., uh, Natalie was seen leaving a bar slash nightclub in a car with 17-year-old Joran Vandersloot um, and his two friends, uh, Deepak Kalpo, 21, and Satish Kalpo, 18. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, and 
the the Calpos were local, right? I think so. I think so. Okay. I don't know exactly. Uh, well, Vandersloot was living in Aruba and attending the International School of Aruba. Right. Uh, he was a Dutch honor student, um, and the owner of the car was Deepak Calpo. Okay. So, uh, Natalie's flight home was set for later that day, May 30th, um, but she failed to show up at the airport, uh, and her luggage and passport were both like packed and ready to go and were found in her hotel room at the Holiday Inn. Okay. So, um, Aruban authorities found this pretty odd. Yeah. So, yeah. So they started searching for Natalie throughout the island and surrounding waters. However, she was nowhere to be found. Yep. Um, so after hearing about her daughter's disappearance, which was pretty swift, um, Beth and George flew to Aruba in a private jet. Um, Beth went to see the night manager at the Holiday Inn who gave her the name of Vandersloot after recognizing him on a security tape. Okay. So the couple then went to the authorities, giving them that information. Um, and then the couple, accompanied by some friends and two officers, went to Vandersloot's home um, and, uh, like, were trying to, like, look for Natalie. Right. Um, so when he answered the door, he initially, like, denied even hearing her name. Uh, but then he told them, uh, this like, a story uh, that was corroborated by Deepak. Okay. So according to him, uh, the three friends drove Natalie to an area of Arashi Beach uh, because she wanted to see sharks. Uh, and after making the trip, they dropped her back off at her hotel at about like two in the morning. Um, as they were driving away, he saw her being approached by a, quote, dark man in a black shirt similar to those worn by security guards. Uh, so... Hundreds of people, both from the United States and Aruba, joined in the search for Natalie. Uh, Fifty Dutch Marines uh, searched the shoreline extensively. Uh, Aruban banks raised $20,000 to aid volunteer search teams. Uh, And then Beth and George were initially provided free rooms at the Holiday Inn. Uh, In fact, Beth actually stayed in the same room that her daughter had. It's Aruba... um... I can't remember. Are they are, are are they part of the Netherlands? Netherlands, yeah. Okay, yeah. they are. They're a, a, a what's the word? I can't think of what the word is. I know they're an island, but I don't know if they were like a like a Commonwealth or yeah, a, so a republic. Like part or of a, the Kingdom of the Netherlands okay. or something. Um. So anyway, uh, so they later like moved to like a nearby hotel. Yeah. Um. So reports originally said that Natalie hadn't appeared on any surveillance footage, uh, from when she disappeared. Uh, and her mother first made statements claiming that the cameras weren't working, but then later said that they were in her book, which came later. It, and Vandersloot was, I know he was going to school there, but his family was not there. So he lived. Yeah, I think he was away from them at the time. But and he, I think he was around 18-ish. But he lived in, his, in a house on his own or he lived? Um, in... Actually, wait, no, his his father was there at okay. least, All at right. the very least. Okay. Um, he comes in later. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly, but. So, uh, police commissioner, uh, oh God, Jan van der Straten, uh, said that Natalie quote, did not have to go through the lobby to return to her room. So the surveillance footage in the lobby might not have caught her if she like had gone back. 
but it didn't seem that she had gone back because all her stuff was like packed neatly and like. Oh, what I find interesting there too is that okay, so she had been out multiple nights before, right? So mm-hmm. you would think, and I don't know why they don't talk about this though, that they would have looked at previous nights and did she come in through the front door on those other nights because she right. did come home, so they could show a pattern of was she coming in through the front every time. So if they wanted to say that okay, this time. It, they could. I mean, I'm not. Again, I don't know. I know it's bad and ugly, and there's, there's like this whole conspiracy thing to the whole piece. But, um, it could have been that, you know, on the whatever how many days they were there, she didn't always come in. So, I'm not trying to say the police are right either, but. Um, yeah, I couldn't find anything about like. Yeah, no, that's fine. That, but, I, but you would think that would be the logical thing to th- say, like, "Hey, what's her pattern? Does she always come <laughs> through the front?" Like, so. Yeah, I mean, they might have done that, but I didn't say it. Yeah, in any fair, of the enough, articles. fair enough. Um, so there were several like false leads in the case as authorities struggled to find physical evidence. Um, and at one point, a blood sample was taken from Deepak's car and tested, only to reveal that it wasn't blood at all. It was just okay. a stain. All right. Uh, so. On June 5th, 2005, just a couple days after Natalie's disappearance, uh, police detained two former security guards from a nearby hotel, which was closed for renovation. Uh, So Nick John and Abraham Jones were arrested on suspicion of murder and kidnapping. Uh, And officers never disclosed, like, the reasons why they arrested the two men, but implied uh, that statements from Vandersloot and the Calpos may have been a factor. Uh, okay. Right. Uh, but then on June 13th, the men were released without charge. Okay. Um, and before that, on June 9th, Vandersloot and the Calpo brothers were all arrested in connection with Natalie's disappearance. Okay. Uh, and at this time, there's like a different police commissioner. His name is Gerald Dompig. Okay. Um, and so he said that the three were suspects from the beginning. Uh, but they were waiting. They were, like, gathering evidence from surveillance, telephone, like, wiretaps and email monitoring, all of that. Um, and they were trying to, like, wait until they had enough to bring them in. But pressure from Natalie's parents um, had, like, sort of made them Forced arrest. Forced her hand. Okay. Yeah. So they arrested them early. Uh, so two days later, David Cruz, the spokesman for the Aruban Minister of Justice, said that Natalie was dead and authorities had located her body. Um, however, he later, retract- he later retracted the statement, saying that he was a victim of a misinformation campaign. Huh. So they had no idea. Okay. I don't even know. Then that evening, uh, the police commissioner alleged that the Vandersloot, that Vandersloot and his friends had admitted that, quote, something bad happened to Natalie when they were at the beach. Okay but didn't elaborate. Right. On June 17th, another person was arrested, DJ Steve Gregory Crows. Uh, police reported that he was detained based on information from the other three detainees. Okay. So, I, I don't even know. Um, then on June 22nd, police arrested Vandersloot's father, Paulus Vandersloot, uh, after detaining him for questioning. Four days later, both Paulus and Gregory were released. Uh, And then during this time, the three original suspects started changing their stories. Of course. Right. Uh, So all of them claimed that they dropped off Natalie with Vandersloot um, on the Marriott Hotel beach. All right. Uh, Vandersloot then claimed that he left her on the beach and didn't hurt her. Uh, And then another time, he claimed that he was dropped off at home uh, and the Calpo brothers drove off with Natalie. Uh, The police commissioner 
didn't believe this second story, however, that the Calvo brothers drove Took off. Took her off. Her. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, you ask? Why? Thank you. Uh, well, according to him, quote, this girl, she was from Alabama. She's not going to stay in the car with two black kids. Oh, my God. I know. I Okay. Yeah, that's his reason. He seems like a really great guy. <sighs> anyway... Uh, so the Calpo brothers were well, actually in a way though, compared to here, they would have immediately just said it was the black kid. That's so true. in a way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's really in a way great. you're like, it's just, it's uh, maybe he it's just he just said it the wrong. I don't. I don't even know. Anyway, so the Calpo brothers uh, were released on Monday, July fourth, uh, following a hearing, but Vandersloot was detained for another sixty days. Mm-hmm. Um, so on that day, July 4th, uh, the Royal Netherlands Air Force deployed an aircraft equipped with infrared sensors um, to aid in the search, but nothing came up. Uh, officials also compared satellite imagery from before and after Natalie went missing to see if they could find any areas with like disturbed dirt, sure, yep. like to see if she was buried. Um, and during this time, a local gardener came forward claiming to have seen Vandersloot attempting to hide his face as he drove into the Aruba Racket Club, which uh, was really near um, a small pond. Okay. Um, and apparently the Calpo brothers were with him. Uh, so authorities partially drained the pond looking for clues, but found nothing. Hmm. Um, another man came forward, uh, and he's only known as the Jogger. Yeah. Uh, and he said that he'd seen men bearing a blonde-haired woman in a landfill on that afternoon on May 30th. Uh, and Natalie was blonde. Okay. Um, so the landfill had already been searched, but they searched again three more times, uh, just to be sure. And the FBI sent cadaver dogs to assist, but to no avail. They found nothing. Um, Natalie's parents, as well as donors, offered hundreds of thousands of dollars in reward money for any information leading to Natalie's body. And at this point, pretty much everyone thought that she was 100% dead. Okay. Um, not her mom, though, which we'll get into later. Uh, at one point, authorities found duct tape with some blonde hair on it, and they tested it twice, but determined that the hair did not match Natalie's. Hmm. Um, on August 26th, the Calpo brothers were rearrested along with another man, uh, 21-year-old Freddy Arambatsis. Mm -hmm. uh, this new suspect was suspected of taking photos of an underage girl as well as, quote, having inappropriate physical contact with the same girl. Um, and allegedly this occurred before Natalie's disappearance, so they were thinking maybe like an escalation kind of thing. Right. Um, but all of the suspects were released on September 3rd, with the condition that they remain available to police. Right. 11 days later, the restrictions were removed. Hmm. Um, I think like a judge was like, yeah, you can't, like you've arrested these people so many times and you don't have any evidence. So, Right. Uh, so in the following months, Vandersloot gave several press interviews to explain his side of things. You're right. I think I remember seeing these. Oh, not all of them, but remember it on TV. Right. Uh, one of his most famous interviews was with Fox News. Uh, in March of 2006. This mm -hmm. is going to be great, right? Yeah. Uh, so in this interview, he stated that Natalie wanted to have sex with him, but he didn't want to because he didn't have a condom. Um, so he further stated that Natalie wanted him to stay at the beach, but he declined because he had school in the morning. Yep, because, uh, you know, upright citizen. Yeah, of course. 
uh, pillar of the community. Exactly. Uh, he was then picked up at three in the morning by Satish Kalpo and left her sitting on the beach. Gotcha. Uh, according to Satish's lawyer, uh, he never returned to pick up Vandersloot at all and was asleep at home instead. Right. Uh, he claimed, uh, Vandersloot claimed that he felt bad for leaving her at the beach, but it was at her own request. Right. Uh, he also said he wasn't originally telling the truth because he was, quote, convinced she would soon turn up. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. That's because I so guess, logical. I know. Right. Like, oh, I, I shouldn't tell the police exactly what happened because right. I'm sure she's just, she's fine. Right. So. Yeah. Great. Great, pal. Anyway, um, throughout 2006, authorities searched the dunes of Aruba, uh, interviewing and re-interviewing her old classmates, uh, and they combed through the beaches for any sign of Natalie, but to no avail. Uh, the police commissioner, Dom Pig, uh, stated in a CBS interview that he believed Natalie had died accidentally from alcohol and or drug poisoning and that someone later hid her body. Gotcha. Uh, and then he left the case shortly after. Gotcha. Um, and during his time working on it, Aruba had spent about $3 million on the investigation. I do remember that too, but I, well, maybe I'm going to get to it, so keep going. Um, okay. So, multiple people were arrested throughout 2006, but they were all eventually released. Um, and at Aruba's re- own request, the Netherlands then took over the investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in April of 2007, Vandersloot published a book called The Case of Natalie Holloway uh, that told his side of the story. Right. So, really, it's just the case of Joran Vandersloot. <laughs> so... Um, and so from, like, the article that was talking about this, uh, quote, he admits to and apologizes for his initial untruths but maintains his innocence. Right. So that's basically what that book was. Yeah. Um, then on April 27th, uh, so this is, like, the month that the book comes out, uh, 20 investigators searched the Vandersloot residence, uh, digging up the grounds in search of Natalie's body. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't find anything. Um, and investigators investigators also didn't clarify what prompted the search, except that it, quote, was not related to Vandersloot's book. Okay. <laughs> I don't think that's true, but, you know. Um, so they confiscated some of Paulus's, the father's letters, uh, as well as his personal computer, but soon returned them, didn't, like, take really anything, uh, didn't find anything. Then fast forward to May 12th, the Calpo residence was searched by authorities. Uh, the brothers were detained for about an hour when they objected to the search, uh, but were released when authorities left. Gotcha. Again, officials did not disclose exactly like what they were searching for. Right. So then uh, let's jump forward to November 21st, 2007. Uh, uh, officials rearrested Vandersloot and the Calpo brothers, quote, on suspicions of involvement in manslaughter and causing serious bodily harm that resulted in the death of Holloway. Okay. Uh, soon after, Natalie's father, Dave, announced another search for his daughter that was to probe the sea around Aruba, uh, beyond the original 330-foot depths that had been searched like originally. Right. Uh, however, the search was called off in February 2008 due to lack of funds. Uh, and they didn't find anything for what, right. how much search they could have done. So um, the case was like 
officially closed in, I believe it was either late December, or early January. Mm-hmm. Um, the suspects that were still in custody were all released in like late November, early December. Um, and yeah, it was December 18th that they officially closed Close the case, case okay. uh, with no charges filed due to lack of evidence. Right. So now on January 21st or 31st, 2008, uh, Dutch crime reporter Peter DeVries uh, claimed that he'd solved Natalie's case. I feel like I remember this too. Right. So he went on television and claimed that Vandersloot had confessed to him, uh, which Vandersloot denied, saying that he was only telling him what he wanted to hear. <laughs> uh, so soon after this, Aruba reopened the case. Right. Um, and so the footage of this confession was released, or at least parts of it. Right. And it seemed that he was like smoking weed on the video and saying that, quote, he was with Natalie when she began convulsively shaking and then became unresponsive. He attempted to revive her without success. Uh, he said that he called a friend who told Van Schloot to go home and who disposed of the body. Right. Uh, the friend was identified and denied this, saying that he was away at school when all this happened. Gotcha. Um, so multiple more attempts, like, were made, uh, to arrest Vandersloot again, but right. they were all in vain. Nothing was allowed, uh, cause there was no evidence. And then on November 24th, 2008, Vandersloot agreed to another interview with Fox News. <laughs> this one, if you thought the other one was bad. Oh, God. In this interview, he alleged that he sold Natalie into sexual slavery, uh, quote, receiving money both when Natalie was taken and later on to keep quiet. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also alleged that his father paid off two police officers who'd learned that Natalie had been taken to Venezuela. Mm -hmm. And then later he retracted those statements. Of course. Yeah. So great job. Great, great. Lovely. Uh, So more attempts over the next like year or so were made to find Natalie. But again, nothing was found. Um, and then on March 29th, 2010, it gets worse, <laughs> uh, Vandersloot reached out to Natalie's mom and stepfather. Oh my God, I, remember, I do remember this. And he offered to show them where the body was right. for uh, $2,500,000. That was... 250000 Yes. Wait, 250000 Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I don't know why. <laughs> Fair enough. Because right. he also, because yeah. initially he was like, first give me 25000 Right, right, right. So right. I mix that up a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so 25000 we'll we'll give me that and then I'll, I know you And you're then I'll right. show you yeah. and then you give me the rest. Right, exactly. Uh, so they notified the FBI uh, who like arranged to proceed with the transaction. They were like, okay, do this. Um, so he was sent, I believe, $15,000. Yeah. Um, and then he provided directions, which turned out to be false. Right. Uh, so... It was just. But that's, um, that, that that's a felony, right? It's not. Vandersloot was charged with extortion and wire fraud right. on June third, and was indicted on June thirtieth. Right. And I don't know exactly like how what his sentence was or anything, but he was eventually set free, um, because it gets worse. On May thirtieth, two thousand ten, the fifth year anniversary of Natalie's death, Stephanie Flores Ramirez was reported missing from Lima, Peru. Uh, Stephanie was a 21-year-old business student. Uh, she was found dead three days later in a hotel room registered under Vandersloot's name. Okay, I do. This is all coming back to me now. Yeah, yeah. It just keeps yeah, getting yeah, worse yeah. and worse and worse. 
Uh, so he was arrested on June 3rd and confessed four days later. Mm-hmm. Uh, he claimed that he became enraged and lost his temper after she accessed her uh, his laptop without permission and found information connecting him to Natalie. Gotcha. Uh, he was quickly charged with the murder, and on January 11th, 2012, he pled guilty to murdering Stephanie, and he was sentenced to 28 years in prison. But, you know, he seemed to have the time of his life, because in 2014, he, well, he had gotten married uh, and became a father in 2014. Mm-hmm. So, lovely that he's having such a great time. Uh, so, the day after his sentencing, back in 2012, uh, Natalie was legally declared dead. Right. Uh, her father, Dave, had started the petition in June of 2011, um, and her mother opposed the petition. Right. Uh, she was still holding out hope. Right. But the order was eventually signed. So there have been more attempts at investigation in the years following, but nothing solid has come up. Um, they found some bones in Aruba. Uh, they found a jawbone in 2010 and some other like bones in 2017. But DNA testing has proven they do not belong to Natalie. Which is, in itself, not good. Yes. Yeah. That's, now there's some other bones. Yeah, like, right. whose bones are those? Right. That's really not good. Um, so, uh, in 2018, a man named John Ludwig was stabbed to death in Florida when he attempted to kidnap a woman from her car. Uh, she managed to wrestle the knife away from him and stab him until he fled. Uh, and why is this significant, you ask? Why, why is it significant? <laughs> well, uh, in 2017, he claimed to have disposed of Natalie's body for Vandersloot. Hmm. Uh, he said that Vandersloot offered him uh, $1,500 to cremate Natalie's body. So I don't and, know if they okay. ever investigated that, but he's dead now. So From the stabbing? From the stabbing. Ah, yeah, okay. he died. Okay. So Beth, uh, Natalie's mom, uh, wrote a book about her daughter, as did Dave. So now there's three books by like people that were close to her. Well, close is a one's proximity. Yeah. The other is yeah. family. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, so Beth still hasn't given up hope. She went on 2020 uh, in 2019 to do an interview and was talking about like how she's like still hopeful and all right. that. I didn't actually watch it because I didn't have time, but um, definitely something worth looking into. Uh, so she actually like returned to Aruba to continue the search. I don't know if it was just like a visit or she's still there, um, but she's not given up hope. She's still looking for her daughter. Uh, and even though she's declared legally dead, if you have any information as to like where she is um, or like anything like that, you can submit a tip on the FBI's website or you can call the U.S. Embassy in Venezuela at Zero eleven fifty eight two one two nine zero seven eight three three five. Very long phone number, um, but that is the story of Natalie Holloway. No, I, you're right. It was definitely crazy. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I didn't know half that detail. Um, well, maybe two thirds of it. But um, I thought the only thing, I, and maybe I know you, you said you were trying to cut it down. Right. But I thought at one point he then left to go back to the Netherlands. Like they were really upset because he left yeah. Aruba and went there. And that and that did. also is very suspicious on why. I mean, I understand the press and everything, but that was because I think they were like, you cannot leave. And he did or something. Or, yeah, but, I think it was something like that. I had to cut a lot out, like I was yeah, saying. But. but yeah, no, that, that, that definitely was recent. And I remember watching when it happened. 
but I didn't follow it anywhere in the amount of detail. You were just kind of, but you'd see like somebody was arrested. Nope, now they're released. Oh, they're arrested yeah. again, <laughs> that kind of thing. So, but yeah, that's just, terrible. I feel, you know, like the family must just be, because especially when you're getting these feelers or people are coming in saying, yeah, I know. And uh, especially like, and then he kills sweet. again, right? Yeah. And then extortion of yeah. the whole, like, that's just... Yeah, this guy just seems, like, so awful, but... Yeah. When I first opened the Wikipedia article, I, like... You know how they have, like, the, the headings, and you can, like, yeah. click on the different headings? It was, like, Vandersloot's arrest, Vandersloot's re-arrest, Vandersloot's extortion of the family. I was like, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, what a happy story, right? That's right. Hopefully yes. yours is better. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> great. <laughs> All right. Well, well done. I would just like to say, <laughs> <coughs> before, before you start your story, um, I'm eating one of the most incredible cornbread pieces I've had in my life. So if I'm silent for the first, like, you know, 10 or so minutes, it's on the cornbread. Yeah, we took a break in between for our dinner, stories yeah. to have dinner. <laughs> we, for our apreski dinner was uh, chili, turkey chili. Turkey chili. Oh, it was yeah. so good. Okay. All right. So just gonna turn my microphone away <laughs> from the chewing uh actually that the cornbread is also right out of the box we do christie's the honey it's delicious it is it's great if yeah yeah if you're looking for box chili i mean boxed uh, cornbread <laughs> go for it there all right so uh my story uh it's paranormal but there is um there is a true crime component to it I'm just now leaning over. Just put your <laughs> mic there. It's fine. No, I can. Chewing. I can edit it out while in, while in post. <laughs> fine. If you can't, this is on you. <clears throat> um, and it takes place in Yorkshire, England, in 1974. All right. Cool. You figured it out. That. <laughs> Hold on. Got I have it? to say, 1974. That's the year Bundy started. Anyway. Okay. October 6th, 1974. What in, where are we? Uh, the place you just said. Oh, my God. I'm really how does stuff, how does eating make you deaf? That's really good. All right. In Yorkshire, in England. No, I was going to say something. Like yeah, that. yeah. Sure you were. All right. Michael Taylor, 31, and his wife, Christine. Anything? Say good. Oh, my God. <laughs> Michael Taylor... Okay. 31 years old, and his wife, Christine, they didn't give her an age for her, but I am I assume she's within Because you few. never ask a woman her age. Yeah, okay. We're on their way home at the break of dawn. Oh. Okay. <clears throat> I don't me. think I know this as of yet. I'll let you know if I, if I do. Uh, well, if you even listen. <laughs> I'm um, listening. I just need to be eating as well. They had just experienced life-changing events. They were exhausted, both mentally and physically. And were on their way, like I said, returning home. Um, they had five children. and Five a, children? And a poodle, yeah. And the children um, had been staying with relatives while they were out that evening. Or friends. I'm not exactly sure how they split the kids. Because I don't know how one person's taking five of their kids. Um, <clears throat> um, they weren't religious types. But in the past year, they had found the church and had become um, spiritual. They had been struggling with some personal issues between them, and the ch- the church kind of entered their lives to help them. 
Um, but not, I don't think in a marriage counseling way, it just kind of happened. And it was actually the church where they had spent that evening or had been coming from. Okay. Okay. It is believed they got home around 8 a.m. Okay. At 10 a.m., there were multiple reports from neighbors of a person wandering the street naked and covered in red paint. Oh, I don't think it's paint. When police arrived and assessed the scene, they realized that this person was in extreme distress. It took a while for police to calm this person down and to discover where the person lived and everything. Uh, But when they did, they cordoned cordoned off the street, the entrance to the home basically blocked. There was a senior officer who was guarding the door when a junior officer was coming in to enter the scene to, uh, I don't know, if investigate or what, what that person's job was. But the senior officer kind of stopped the junior officer, and this is what he said. I'm paraphrasing. Um, you don't want to see this one, son. I've seen nothing like it before, and I've seen a few. It's a right mess in there. There's not much Oh, come on. You got to do it left. in the accent if you're... I'm not going to. You don't want to see it, eh? It just doesn't work with the American accent. A. <laughs> this is the story of religion, demonic possession, and an exorcism. Ooh. This is the story of the Osset exorcist. I don't think I know this one. All right. Well, let me get into my sources. <laughs> Wikipedia had just the overall um, story in itself. It's actually, I'll, I'll bring it up later. Um, mysterious. Okay. So I'm going to do this in order. Mysteriousuniverse.org wrote a story in 2015. Okay. Then Real Unexplained Mysteries wrote one in 2016. Mm-hmm. And then the True Crime Enthusiast uh, wrote this in 2017. And the True Crime Enthusiast actually is now a podcast. It's in the UK. Um, I know nothing about it. I haven't listened to him or anything. Like that's a single person um, who just talks about true crime in the UK Ooh. itself. But, uh, but when I was going through it, I started with the True Crime Enthusiast. And I was like, oh, you know. And then I felt guilty because I'm kind of like, oh, my God, I'm just going to steal this story. But then when I started researching more to corroborate everything – that 2015 story from Mysterious Universe was pretty much the benchmark for the other two <laughs> stories. So a lot, I want to make sure that Mysterious Universe gets credit, but I will say the true crime enthusiast has more about, um, has more interviews in there or, or researched interviews and things like that of, wow. of where I got that quote and everything else was more from the true crime enthusiast. Hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's go into the story. Michael and Christine Taylor to all people or to everyone around them, family and friends, they were a happy couple. Okay. Neighbors spoke pretty highly of them. They they actually said that um, laughter kind of emanated from their home. Like you could, you just, it was just one of those things where they just felt goodness. Okay. Michael had injured his back prior to 74. So, because of that, it hindered his ability to kind of keep a steady job. And that's kind of where they think things started to go a little bit downhill with him. Um, he had been a butcher before that. And I guess the strain on his back was just too much for him to basically do his job. Um, Christine, known as a very friendly person, doted on her kids like the kids were her life. Um, and then where they lived in Osset, Yorkshire, I don't know how this all works out, but... Um, It was a pretty strong religious community. And as I'd mentioned before, they, I I mean, I think they were Catholic, but weren't, weren't militant about it or, or, uh, would partake in most of the services and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they were judged one way or the other because of that, but 
they it was known that they weren't religious. Um, and Michael had been moving from job to job because he couldn't keep that, whatever he was doing. And I don't know what jobs they were, if they were just menial tasks or things like that, but the stress started to take its toll. And he started to worry about how he was going to provide for his family, and he would suffer bouts of depression. Christine saw that change in her husband, and she tried to help him in every way, like however she could support him mm-hmm. in, you know, to the point where should she go get a job, things like that, both financially or um, um, uh, mentally support, all those other things. Uh, however, Michael didn't want to show weakness to his wife, nor confide in these issues he was having or the depression he was having. Um, but it said he confided in this other friend, a woman, Barbara Wardman. Interesting. And that didn't sit well with Christine. Oh, boy. So Barbara convinced Michael to join her church group at the Christian Fellowship Church and raved about this new pastor, a Marie Robinson, age 21. Hmm. Michael was soon a regular. He was completely enamored cult. by this it's a cult. charismatic Robinson, soaked up all the teachings. and. It's a cult started to distance distance himself from the family. Even the children were kind of like, yeah, this is kind of weird. You know, why are we seeing dad? And the neighbors even said, like, we just didn't see him around as much. It's a cult. And then his demeanor started to change more. You know, he already had these bouts with depression, but he started to become more argumentative and became more sullen. Oh. And then he started spending late evenings with Robinson. Mm -hmm. They would use the, and I'm air quotes here, the power of God to exercise people of their sins and speak in tongues. Oh, that's a cult. In private rituals, both Michael and Robinson would stay up all night making the sign of the cross at each other in order to ward off what they believed was the evil power of the full moon. Why are they so mean to the moon? She does so many nice things. Now, Christine started to see that her husband was slipping away. Into cult life. And she wasn't going to just sit by and idly let this happen. Damn right. So at one congregation or service, Christine confronted Michael in front of Robinson and in front of all the other churchgoers. She started to accuse him of what, you know, why was he spending this time? And then accused him of being unfaithful. (gasps) With that accusation, Michael's behavior just turned even darker. Oh, boy. And... He would later say that he believed that, that he had felt an evil influence cast a shadow over him. Oh, boy. And compelled by this, this force, he turned towards Robinson and then basically unlashed this fury of expletives, speaking in tongues, oh, and then God. was ready to confront her physically. Wow. Wait, to Robinson? To Robinson. Members of the congregation had to physically restrain him oh my God. before he, they believed he would seriously hurt someone, basically, Robinson. Wow. Robinson would say this. And this is a quote. Again, this came out of, I think this is from the, the uh, true crime guy. I suddenly glanced at Mike, and his whole features changed. He looked almost bestial. He kept looking at me, and there was a really wild look in his eyes. I started screaming at him out of fear. I started speaking in tongues. Mike also screamed at me in tongues. I was on the verge of death, and I seemed to come to my senses. I knew that the only name that only the name of Jesus would save me, <laughs> and I just started saying it over and over again, Jesus. When Chris, Christine, heard me calling on the name of Jesus, she started saying it too. 
and I believe firmly that it was only by calling his name that I was not killed. Okay. <laughs> Michael would later claim that he had no memory of the incident. Okay. <laughs> the next day, Michael received full forgiveness from Robinson <laughs> and the church um, and church absolution uh, for what had happened. They didn't ban him? Nope. He was good to go. Didn't mean that the churchgoers forgot what happened, though. Yeah, it's kind of hard to forget that. The following days and weeks saw Michael's sanity start to slip away even more. Oh, lovely. Robinson now believed that there was a demonic possession that had caused this outburst and his, you know, darkness, and consulted with other local ministers. The local vicar concluded that an exorcism should be performed. Wow, that's interesting. So two ministers, and their names were Father Peter Vincent and another Reverend Raymond Smith, were summoned. Now, I don't know where, if they were within the city or I, I, or within this fellowship. I, I don't understand. They didn't really go into a lot of detail of that. But the date and time of the exorcism was set for midnight on October 5th, of 1974, which is really just October 6th, I believe, because <laughs> midnight is really the next day, yeah, isn't it? that is right? true. But so, I thought it was, like, super hard to get an exorcism now. I don't believe that they went through the right channels, maybe, but I, I don't know. So it was an amateur exorcism. That's great. That's what you want when you're exorcising a loved one. Yeah, I guess. Um, on that night, the two ministers began a ritual, which would prove to be a harrowing affair, that would last throughout that night and well into that morning. So, almost immediately after the exorcism had begun, Michael went into an uncontrollable convulsions and fits and bouts and started to scratch at people, started spinning, started biting. They had to force him physically to the ground um, and then tied him to the ground. Over the next eight hours... Michael was subjected to having crucifixes shoved into his mouth, being doused with holy water, and being forced to confess his sins, all the while while he was growling, snapping at anyone who came near him. That's scary. So uh, I think it's um, Father Vincent and Reverend Smith uh, claim that they believe there were 40 demons inside right now. 40? 40 demons. That seems excessive. If you can't get the job done with just one demon, then maybe it's not worth doing. (laughs) Well, um, (laughs) these these demons, well, I don't even know how to say this. They represented all different things. So incest, bestiality, blasphemy, lewdness. Heresy. Am I gonna have to sit here through masochism all of the demons and carnal knowledge? Well, these were some that they specifically uh, had to carnal spell out. knowledge. Yes. <laughs> um, and allegedly, these demons would not just leave when they asked them politely to leave. Well, I mean, that's just darn rude. So they had to one by one <laughs> drag them out. <laughs> Kicking and screaming. Kicking and screaming. So one by one, like incest. You're up. Let's go. Uh, but by 8 a.m. on October 6th, the priests had carried out the exorcism, and they were now exhausted and could not continue anymore. So they're like, let's just pause it here. 
We got 37 of them, I how think. How come they don't... Why don't they have, like, some preset, like, on the bench that they can, like, tap in? This is not how it works. They're like, you know, we need a cuppa. So... <laughs> It was decided. I think the Liverpool game is on. Yeah. We can watch that. And then <laughs> it was decided that the exorcism would have to be finished at a later time. And although the priests claimed that there were still three demons, those of insanity, anger, and murder, oh. they were too stubborn to leave. You know, on their timeline. So they oh. said, "Hey, we're just going to have to come back to get those three. What? And what do you do until then? So they said to Michael and Christine, "You know, hey." Just come back tomorrow. That's not a good idea. Now, the minister's wife, Reverend Smith's wife, mm-hmm. Margaret, claimed that she had received a warning in her mind, and she believed it to be from God, which said that the demon of murder was going to escape. Yikes. She pleaded with her husband and the uh, other uh, father mm-hmm. um, to complete the exorcism. Good, yes. But instead, they said, hey... Mike, Chris, why don't you go home, have a rest. Catch the game. We'll prepare for the next round, which will be performed, you know, the following, I guess, midnight. Uh, Why? What? I have so many questions about their logic here. At 10 a.m. that morning. Oh, boy. Police surrounded the Taylor home. They were alerted again that, like we said, there was a snaked person covered in red paint paint but of course as you said it wasn't paint that covered this person it was blood and the amount of blood that it it almost looked as if and the reason why they thought it was paint is that they said it was so thick it just looked as if they had been bathing it or somebody just dropped a bucket you know they said it was like caked on 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 the person Wow. so the person in custody had to be restrained and you know detained and the suspect just wouldn't keep quiet and just started yelling, saying that it's the blood of Satan. It sounds like it's probably the blood of your family. In the house was a scene that officers couldn't believe, and well, nor they could never forget. Right. They found the remnants of the tailor's poodle. <gasps> no! Its limbs ripped from its body. No! And its insides torn out. <gasps> no weapon was used. It was done by hands. <gasps> Next no. to the poodle lay no. Christine Taylor. No. Her eyes <gasps> gouged out. Oh, God. I hate that. I hate that. Her tongue ew, ripped ew, ew, out. Ew, 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 ew. And her face removed from her skull That's to the bone. Disgusting. With hands. <gasps> what the hell? Of course. Michael was arrested. Wait, the kids were all okay? Kids were away, remember? The oh, yeah. I thought that was yeah. just like... For... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and as he was, you know, awaiting trial, they basically had as many psychiatrists and as many pe- doctors base, you know, oh my God. talk to him and, and interview him because they were saying that how, again, the, the crime scene was like, as we said, Brutal. it was super recent. So while he was, um, I mean... Partially, this is from, test, from when he was testifying at his trial. Others were interviews with the psychiatrists and things like that. But he said he was under the influence of demons. That he also believed that his wife was as well. What? And then while in custody, and I think this was when, I, it was a short period of time. Either it was when they had 
found him naked and put him in a car, or this is right after he'd been brought to the um, station, he said this. Um, it was a long night. They danced around me and burned my cross because that was tainted with the evil. They had me in the church all night. Look at my hands. I was banging on the floor. The power was in me. I couldn't get rid of it, and neither could they. They were too late. I was compelled by a force within me to destroy everything living within the house. No. Now, this is a more... So, although, you know, he claimed he could not remember any of the actual murder... And nobody heard any screams? Nope. And he claimed he also deeply loved his wife. He was asked by uh, the D.I. Smith um, how he felt. And that's what Michael replied. Released. I am released. It is done. The evil in her has been destroyed. I think everything about her has been destroyed. The prosecutions, the, 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 lawyer, the barristers for the prosecution, I say, believe that more people were at fault for this crime. They included, they believe, both uh, Father Vincent and Reverend Smith. They believe uh, Pastor Robinson was at fault. Yeah. They deemed the Christian Fellowship was actually a fanatical cult. Yes. They had influenced Michael with mind control and indoctrination, knowing full well that he'd suffered from mental illness. It only exacerbated it. Um, they blamed that the that the exorcism itself just that oh. that destroyed his mind. Um, they claimed that the ritual is feeding off of warped ideals, beliefs, you know, religious fervor that they had, you know, he picked up from the group. So remember, he was indoctrinated already and believed in these things and was doing all these other things with Robinson. So in his mind, they were real. Um, now, in the end, well, I should say the other thing that they, they, they believed is that because he had been sleep deprived, he was already mentally disturbed. All these things on the exorcism had just pushed him over the end and hit, and he had, he'd snapped to the point where he was not coming back. He was found not guilty by reason of insanity oh my God. and was deemed to be both clinically and legally insane. Okay, that's fair. He ended up spending four years what? in a secure hospital, two in a, a hospital and then two years in infirmary for rehabilitation. That's and, it? And then released. No! He's, uh, he's out there? In 2005... Michael would be arrested for sexually harassing an underage girl. Okay. At the trial, it was stated that none of the previous charges were deemed to have any bearing on the case. So the jury heard nothing about him ripping the face off his wife. What? Or any of these other things. Oh, my God. So he ended up getting a three-year sentence of community service. Oh, my God. Plus more psychiatric counseling. Oh, my God. He did attempt to take his life multiple times, both... That's in the four sad. years when he was in the hospital, they believe also then after. Um, his whereabouts today, unknown. Why would you end it like that? In closing, though. Oh, my God. An officer on the scene and has now, was retired. They, they interviewed him, I think, on the, I guess it was the fifth, no, no, what am I saying? Like the 25 or 30 year anniversary of it. Um, I think it was in 2005 after all this stuff had happened. Um, this is what he said. Of all the incidents, I'm not putting this in the English accent either. God damn it. Of all the incidents in I which I was involved things. in 30 years of police work, nothing affected me like this one. The stupidity and futility of it all, 
the complete and utter waste of life and destruction of a family, not to mention the death and other traumas, are far beyond anything else I have ever come across. Yeah. Obviously, my wife asks questions, but there are some things that you do not take home, and this was one of them. However, within that first 24 to 48 hours when the news broke and it hit the national newspapers and it was on all the TVs and news bulletins, I, I couldn't speak to my wife. You just bury it and get on with your life as best you can. Before this event, I was agnostic. And now, I was an atheist. And that's the story of the Asset Exorcist. And it is written up in a whole bunch of things of, you know, exorcism at the time. Because 1974, remember, the Exorcist, the Exorcist. had come out in 72, yeah. I believe. So... Who knows what drives what, what causes people to believe that they can do what they think they can do. But there oh you go. So, God. yeah, there you go. Oh, my God. So have a good evening, all. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> well, you know. This is a depressing episode. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't think it was that depressing. But, it uh, was very depressing. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll just. We then. need someone to text after this. Yeah. All right. Well, then let's hear them. All right. So, folks, let's try to move on, shall we? Uh, my first fun fact is that uh, Forrest Fenn, an art dealer and author, hid a treasure chest in the Rocky Mountains worth over $1 million, uh, and it still has not been found. This is true? Yes. And he hid it in 2010. So are like people going crazy trying to find it? Four people have died looking okay, for it. Okay then. All right. <laughs> so Apparently. <laughs> I mean, try your luck, I guess. But that's a lot of money, so I don't know. Let's let's have a vacation, shall we? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Um then my next fact is that the lead singer of the offspring, which I don't really know that band at all. But I know of them. I don't. I have. Yeah. Anyway, so the lead singer started attending school to achieve a doctorate in molecular biology Sweet. while still in the band. Well, I mean, cool. He graduated in May of 2017. That's awesome. Which is great. Imagine like doing tours and stuff while also trying to get like a doctorate. Anyway, <laughs> humanity is impressive. Very impressive. Uh, and then my last fact I think you'll like. Uh, the world's largest grand piano was built by a 15-year-old in New Zealand. Really? Yes. Wow. The piano is over 18 feet long and has 85 keys, which is three short of the standard standard 88. And it doesn't 18 make... feet long. Okay. It's like stretched out. So the actual piano part is pretty normal, but then like the other part... I don't know. Okay. Goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I see what you're saying. Gotcha. So this goes to show that New Zealand is truly one of the best countries out there. It is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was really confused by the 85 key thing. I was like, wait, it's the, it's the largest piano, but well, I was trying to figure out, is it, is it these big, large, like, like wide keys, keys, like the you size use, of your, like, hand. use your hands? <laughs> that would it's be like, so funny. So you need, you know, whatever, 10 people to play <laughs> yeah. it with you. Right. No, it's, it's, or five people, I should say. Cause you only need 10 fingers. So five people, two hands. Okay. All right. Anyway, so those are my fun facts for this week. All right. Uh, those are from the fact site, by the way. Cool. 
Um, and if you have your own fun facts that you would like to submit, please make them fun because clearly we'll need them after our, all of our episodes. <laughs> um, please send them to our Gmail, which is everythinginpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also submit story suggestions or um, experiences that you've had yourself. Uh, we'd love to read those. Maybe read them out on the podcast, that kind of thing. Uh, so don't hesitate to send those. You can also submit them through our blog slash website, which is www.everythingpodcast.weebly.com. We have lots of fun stuff on there, so definitely go check that out. Um, we are on social media. Our Instagram is at everythinginpodcast. Our Twitter is at between underscore podcast. And we have a Facebook group and page, both by the name of Everything In Between Podcast. So check that out. Uh, we post when new episodes come out. We post like sort of images from the episodes. Uh, just last week, we were posting a lot of like tiles <laughs> That's right. um, that we can see faces in. I never asked if you could see the faces. Did oh, you? no. Yeah. You sh- when you brought them before, oh, you yeah, put them yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see the second face that I saw? I posted it on our story. I remember seeing them. I, th- I, I think I, s- how many pictures did you put up? Three? Uh, I put four? up two pictures, but then I reused just the second picture because I saw I, a second okay, face. Okay. I remember, I remember seeing the two, at least two. Yeah, because so. I like came and showed this to you. Yeah. I can show you the other face that I saw. Okay. Um, but yeah, if you want to go see those, definitely check them out. Um, and I think that's about... Oh, no, it's not. It's not even close. We still have so much more. But <laughs> anyway, if you're listening on a platform that allows you to do so, please, 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 please re- rate, review, and subscribe. It's very, very helpful for us. I can't believe I completely forgot that. <laughs> and lastly, uh, we give each of our stories a song title that goes along with it. Uh, and we've compiled all those songs into a playlist on Spotify called The Soundtrack In Between. So go check that out. Give it a listen. It's a good road trip playlist, a good uh, February break playlist, a uh, <laughs> good skiing playlist. You know, use it for what you want. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Best time I didn't forget something. That's good. Uh, so I guess until next week. Yeah, until next week. And we're not sure if we'll be recording up here. We'll be back in Cambridge. I don't know yet. Who knows? Who knows? The future is undetermined. That's right. Okay, bye. Bye.